Welcome to House Calls, where we get to talk to investment bankers from Kane Brothers, a division of Key Bank Capital Markets, Inc. Kane Brothers bankers work in some of the most interesting segments of the healthcare industries. They work with organizations and business models that are helping to change American healthcare for the better. I'm your host, Dave Johnson. I'm also CEO of Foresight Health. I'm a recovering investment banker myself who discovered late in my career that I was always meant to be a journalist. I co-author a monthly thought leadership article with a rotating cast of senior bankers from Kane Brothers. Each piece becomes an exercise in examining a fascinating segment of the dynamic healthcare landscape. The focus of our articles and this podcast is on how to make America's fragmented, inefficient, and often broken healthcare system more integrated, consolidated, efficient, and customer-focused so that it delivers greater value and innovation to the American people. For this edition of House Calls, we're going to broadcast a conversation from the Kane Brothers Annual Conference from October 2019. It was a great event over two days at the Lot New York Palace, attended by over 600 executives, investors, and professionals. On the second day, I facilitated this candid discussion between Kane Brothers Managing Director Carson Beith, Warburg Pincus's Managing Director T.J. Corella, and Summit Medical Group's CEO, Dr. Jeffrey Lerbanger. Together, we talked about one of the most fascinating and impactful mergers in recent years, the joining of CityMD, a leading urgent care company in New York and Long Island, with Summit Medical Group, a multi-practice physician group based in New Jersey. The combined asset-light, consumer-friendly company tells us a lot about the future of healthcare in America. Let's listen. So let's get to today our, our spotlight discussion on the merger between Summit Medical Group uh, with CityMD which is an entirely new kind of model, a little bit like we were talking about with Steward yesterday, asset light, uh, very focused on customers with an ability to navigate care to the most opportune and appropriate places, uh, and built around the idea that outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. And we have just a terrific group of people to cover that with. We've got Karsten, who was one of the bankers that put the deal together, or maybe the banker that put the deal together, uh, Carson Beith, T.J. Corella from Warburg, who wrote the check, and, uh, and, and you'll see have some very strong intellectual uh, and strategic ideas about why this happened and how it happened. And uh, then Jeffrey LeBanger, who is the CEO of Summit. And we're going to start by just letting each of them tell you a little bit about themselves, and then we'll get into it. So why don't you start, Jeffrey? Hi. Hello, everybody. Um, I am a true New Yorker. I'm from Brooklyn, which I'm very proud of. And I came out to Summit Medical Group in 1989. I'm a head and neck surgeon out of Mount Sinai. And I still do practice. I practice on Saturdays. And I operate a little bit once a week. So I, uh, my heart has always been on the provider side, taking care of the patient, whatever that might mean. Patient is always first and on the provider side. When I came to the group, we were about 45 providers. And uh, before we did the deal, we were about 950 providers. Uh, we run the gambit of every specialty, every ancillary. We really manage the patient to the ambulatory sector. That's how we practice our care. We are in uh, 65 
about 60-65% of our revenue and some basis of value within it, uh, especially on the commercial side. Um, we uh, manage the patient to the lower cost point, and we have always been able to manage to the highest quartile of quality you know, in the group. We believe in an all-in-one premise, taking care of the patient from cradle, I hate to say grave, but we take care of the patient throughout the entire spectrum of care, even palliative care and cancer care, and we just put up a 130,000 square foot ambulatory cancer site to bring them to an ambulatory sector at a lower cost point. We are in every payer. We take every payer. We're not out of network. And we have very good relationships with the payers. We have good relationships with the systems. We partner with them when we need to. But we are not a system. We don't have beds. We don't drive ancillary to a high cost space. We take it to the ambulatory sector. And for us, it's always has been about the patient. And then we look after the providers at the group. Great, thank you. TJ? Hi, I'm TJ Corella. I'm lead healthcare partner at, at Warburg Pincus. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Warburg is one of the larger PE operations out there. So we have uh, $65 billion of assets under management, uh, offices around the world. Uh, we also invest across all categories. Healthcare has been uh, an important sector for us really since our inception over 50 years ago. Uh, we've been, I would argue, a, a prolific investor, invested over $11 billion of equity. Uh, our mantra is growth at scale. So we, we love businesses that are fast growing. We love to find businesses that are at inflection points in, in their growth trajectory. And we love to bring sort of innovation to, to investing in, in healthcare and in general. Uh, and so we certainly view that in, in, the, in the context of, of this deal. Uh, we made our original investment in CityMD, uh, which I think people are probably familiar with given this crowd, but uh, we are at CityMD, the largest urgent care player in the New York metro area. And that's something that we'll obviously talk about in the context of the discussion today. But we made that investment about two and a half years ago. It's performed very well and uh, are just really excited to be a part of what is, in our view, a very transformational um, opportunity to bring together two incredible brands and, and two incredible companies in this Summit City MD merger. Great. Karsten, bring <clears throat> us My home. name is uh, Karsten Bite. I am uh, co-head of the uh, health system M&A group at uh, Kane Brothers, which you've heard is probably the best and uh, strongest investment banking firm uh, serving the healthcare industry. <laughs> I've been with Kane Brothers 26 years. And my first client was uh, was Dean Health System, which was a, uh, a large and is a large uh, multi-specialty group practice uh, fee-for-service group and have been involved in uh, many transactions uh, in the space, including uh, healthcare partners, uh, DuPage Medical Group. But I would have to say that culmination really in terms of uh, the potential for transforming healthcare in a major market is uh, what we've seen with Summit and the combination with CityMD. My other task uh, in this engagement in particular was to uh, try to manage Jeff, which I'm sure TJ is finding out is not that easy. Jeff is a dealmaker, actually extraordinary, and uh, it was actually a real privilege to work with a, uh, with a client that had a good sense of how to get deals done. This was an extraordinarily complex deal, as I'll talk uh, about in a little bit. So. Well, great. Well, Karsten, why don't we keep it with you and uh, for those of in the audience not as familiar with the details of the transaction, why don't you give us 
an overview, its proprietary character, impact on the market? Uh, sure. So, um, you know, this transaction followed, uh, you know, some other transactions in, in from a structural standpoint. I mean, the way to think about it in its uh, simplest term, it was really the... Uh, the merger of uh, Summit Medical Group and its MSO uh, with CityMD, uh, supported obviously by, uh, by capital provided by Warburg uh, Pincus. Uh, the structure is relatively straightforward from the perspective that these MSO transactions, and for many of you that are involved in physician transactions, are complex because of the corporate practice of medicine issues. Uh, so it's essentially an MSO, which is fundamentally the, the business of, uh, of operating a physician group. Uh, combined with the physician group uh, itself. Um, this transaction was obviously much more complex uh, than that. Um, at, by last count, I think there were probably nine different transactions involved. So you know, the first was a asset transfer of some of the assets in the medical group into the MSO. Then there was a stock uh, repurchase. There was a sale leaseback transaction. There was a management services agreement. Uh, there was a uh, pre-close merger. There was a merger with closing. There was uh, then a uh, significant uh, syndicated loan. So all of that, uh, you know, certainly suggests that don't try this at home, unless unless your spouse is Eric Klein, who was the uh, attorney from Shepard Mullen, and uh, his Eric's spouse is very happy after this transaction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but uh, needless to say, these transactions are, are very complex because of the dynamics between uh, between physician groups and essentially the business. But you know, fundamentally, at least as as we see it. It was pretty unique in the sense that it's kind of a hybrid transaction of a strategic transaction. We've, we've certainly seen, particularly with Optum uh, in this space, but it really brought, let's call it the power uh, and the strategic perspectives that uh, TJ and uh, you know, we'll certainly talk about from, uh, from private equity. So at the end of the day, uh, you know, this was a transaction that both created the merger of two very interesting uh, platform companies uh, with essentially the capital that allow uh, the shareholders of, uh, of Summit Medical Group to monetize uh, a portion, uh, but not all of, uh, of their investment in, uh, in Summit Medical Group. So, you know, really an interesting uh, but complex transaction. Yeah, great. Well, uh, thank you. That, that was, uh, that's very helpful. So, Jeffrey, you, you take one platform and you put it together with another platform. So, one platform plus one platform equals five platforms. So, tell us, from your perspective, the strategic benefit of combining with uh, CityMD and, and what it's going to allow the combined company to do uh, in terms of really delivering value and care to right. the citizens in the region. So, before we looked at this deal, we, we, we started a management company about six years ago, and I always had my eye on CityMD, even before they did the first deal with Summit. I knew Richard Park. I thought he had a great product, you know, in terms of how he ran his uh, care model with an aftercare, closing that episodic visit, but it wasn't so really... what really appealed to you about that? Was well, it the was the quality. Yeah. Is the quality, the aftercare okay. product, how they took care of their patient on that episode of care. They have a bunch of doctors that sit in an office in Uniondale, New York, that look at every test, every ancillary, every, I mean, every ancillary test that comes through, and if there's an issue, they triage it, and they get back to the patient, and they have an algorithm of referral on how to refer that patient to that specialist if it needs to be. So they complete that to get that done, but then they don't know what happens to the patient. 
Uh, I always looked at that as a great growth aspect in trying to develop a primary care attribution throughout the entire New York metropolitan area. Yep. And then when this guy next to me uh, bid out to take him from summer partners, I couldn't afford him at that time. We had, we had cash in our management company, but not enough. And I felt, all right, let's figure out what we're going to do. And we were growing, and we were about that time, about 800 providers in New York and I mean in New Jersey. And we were, had our own urgent care model and how we were growing. And then my board came to me and said, boy, you know, maybe we want to look at capital and for our growth. And we were, we were doing really well ourselves. We were running about a 17% EBITDA margin. And we were doing pretty well in a management company, increasing share price. I, Carson will tell you, I really didn't want to do it, okay? I got, you know, I came around to looking at getting a partner, and I saw the real benefit of getting a partner. So when we decided to do this, I went exclusive immediately mm -hmm. with Warburg because I, he could ask TJ. The first time I met TJ, I threw him out. Okay, it's um, <laughs> true. But then it was when, five years ago, right? But then when it came around it again, and I knew they had CityMD, I I really went after this deal uh, with my whole heart, because for me personally, okay, and I convinced the board and the doctor sort at the organization that with us understanding how to grow a multi-specialty group, and we grew from 175 providers like six years ago to over 900 with only a 2% turnover rate within the organization. Nobody leaves when they come. We have a great culture. It's a culture of family of one in the group. So I said, let's try to get CineMD. Let's take them. Let's try to build a primary care attribution across the entire spectrum of the New York metropolitan area, which it's the biggest market in the country. And there is nothing like that. And having over 200 sites in the marketplace where you could, and primary, urgent care is really primary care. Mm -hmm. so when you extend that to really have a, a primary care attribution, you're really going to control the healthcare dollar. So if you can control the quality and the healthcare dollar, I think it makes a real powerful statement. So if you've used the word attribution, Karsten used the word attribution, uh, that strikes me as saying you think we're moving more toward risk-based payments and, and needing vertical integration to, to manage that risk. Okay. Correct. So, you know, everybody talks about what is attribution. So I don't want to confuse the audience. I'm growing the primary care base. Okay. Within that primary care base, there will be attribution where there will be some type of value. Now, there's pay-to-play all the way to capitation, so somewhere in between. We are in more shared savings going to a full total cost of care product in New Jersey because we could do that because we have about 300,000 primary care patients. So we could, we could spread the, we mitigate the risk. In New York, we're going to have to see how we play in that model and take that model into New York. But I absolutely feel that in the MA world, okay, you could, you could really do something really special, especially if you have the providers. Even though there's a lot of med sup and pension and this, whatever, in the New York market, it's not growing as quickly as it can. But I still think you could grow an MA product, you know, in New York and grow on a commercial. In New York City, you try to get a primary care appointment. You can't, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this is something that the community would want. And if you could offer quality product, I really thought it would be Terrific. important. 
Terrific. So was it TJ himself or was it the thought of private equity? That led no, it was TJ himself. I like him. I, never, I, ha, I have an older brother who's really tough. So I always wanted a little brother who I could push around. <laughs> <laughs> I convinced you of that? Yes. All right. Uh, TJ, whatever it takes, right? Uh, I'll add on uh, to, uh, to what Jeff said in, in terms of the sort of strategic nature of what, what yeah. we're doing and, and why we're doing it. You know, people sometimes ask me, is this uh, a primary care play? Is this a you know, global capitation play, full risk play? Is it an MA strategy that you're pursuing? And it's a little bit of all of those, but I, when I kind of um, try to eliminate the noise, I look at, at it primarily as an integrated care delivery strategy. What I mean by that is, um, there's so many problems around just the handoff in, in healthcare today, particularly in markets that are more PPO oriented. So those markets where you have commercial populations who are predominantly interested in access and being seen by the, the very best specialist if they have some acute condition. And oftentimes between primary care who operate independently often or in some other organization and the specialist, there's always that, that issue of not being able to close the, the gap, making sure that that referral actually, the visit actually occurred and that the information, clinical information was shared back. And there isn't that sort of holistic uh, handoff and seamless handoff between uh, different participants in, in the healthcare ecosystem. And that could be also facility-based reasons why that, that happens. And so our, our strategy is really to close those gaps and, and you know, we'll have one uh, electronic medical record. CityMD has a, a very unique position in this market. So it's, it, we like to think of it as like the top of the funnel or uh, you know, if you think of a, an iceberg, it's a, above the water line. This is what CityMD does. It touches a lot of people, but it only takes care of you know, episodic and maybe some crossover primary care needs. But there's this whole under, under the water iceberg that uh, CityMD doesn't touch. We, we were successful, and, and one of the reasons why CityMD is really an interesting business is it does more than just episodic care. It does a better job than almost all others, we think, in, in the country around you know, making those referrals intelligently and following up, et cetera. But there's still a gap. And, and with Summit and Summit's ability to really capture and, and deliver more healthcare, you know, below the waterline and go after kind of more of the, you know, financial opportunity from the private equity guy's perspective, if a commercial patient or member on average spends $5,000 a year on healthcare needs, you know, our CityMD services might represent $300 plus or minus, uh, uh, you know, according to a certain visit uh, count that a patient might need in, in an episodic nature. But then there's the four or $5,000 that we at CityMD never touched. Summit Medical Group plays in that category, right? They, they have a, a, the ability to manage the vast majority of the healthcare needs of a whole family and you know, from, from young children through uh, adults and elderly. And uh, that ability to do more healthcare now for more people <clears throat> is something that really makes sense for us in, in terms of the verticalization of what we're trying to do. So CityMD touches uh, two, almost two million uh, individuals per year and we'll have something like three million visits this year. Three million. And, uh, and Summit has the ability to do so much uh, in terms of, of fulfillment of the healthcare needs of their own population, which is a smaller population because they're in Northern Jersey predominantly. 
Uh, but imagine being able to do all of what they do across that entire population of CityMD patients. And so that's what really excites us. We can't do it alone. I mean, this is an ecosystem where you have to have partnerships with health systems and yeah. particularly really partnerships with, with payers and making sure that we're viewed as the trusted uh, healthcare partner to our patient population above all else. And so we, we look at this as an opportunity to serve all of those masters. So it will always be patient first with the highest quality care and the type of healthcare that Summit, uh, a medical group has delivered is absolutely at the highest quality levels in the country that you will find. Serve the provider so that the actual clinician, there's a huge burnout problem that we all know about around the clinical community across the US. And part of what our mission is here is to enable our physicians and our uh, clinicians to deliver the care the way that care should be delivered and to focus on the patients who really need to be focused on and to kind of help get leverage from our investment in resources and technology and tools and all the great work that Summit's done to have that back office MSO capability to allow them to do what they do best, which is serve the patient needs. So we will serve the payer as well as, as sort of the third P, which is um, obviously in controlling medical spend downstream. And that's, that's where it gets really interesting, obviously from profit pool perspective. If we're able to, and Summit's been hugely successful with this in, in uh, the, the Northern New Jersey marketplace, if we're able to bend the cost curve through integrating this care and, and having that seamless delivery, I think it will, it will really uh, all work out from a bottom line perspective and be a great investment for us. Let's follow up a little bit on, on that, TJ. I, in the uh, panel yesterday morning that Todd Ryszynski uh, moderated uh, in response to a question about what are the Amazons, Apples, Googles, Microsofts of the world, how are they going to impact? And sort of the response from the three private equity firms was that they were a little skeptical. They said the healthcare is much more blocking and tackling is where the improvement needs. And I recently read that something like two-thirds of uh, referrals from primary care to specialists are not necessary. And part of it is that primary care doctors have started to specialize, so their ability to be like Dr. Welby and understand 60, 70 percent what's going on. And, you know, Jeffrey mentioned... Um, uh, I can't remember what town it was, but the, the town where the algorithms are and they look at all the tests and so on. It just strikes me that your model, the blending of technology with sort of a broader primary care perspective is really what allows you to do such a great job on the aftercare and thereby take that two-thirds of, of referrals that aren't really necessary and so you got the one-third that really do need them and then you can direct them. If okay. I could take that for a minute. Okay. You can't belittle the effect of a patient seeing a primary care doctor. Right. The digital platform is going to be important, okay? Right. But it's really a hands-on experience. Now, unfortunately, primary care is going to, almost going to become almost a data analyst. It will, and it's a shame, okay? And then you're going to be referred out to a specialist, right? And it's not that we're going to go back to a so-called gatekeeper approach, but the primary care is going to control where that referral goes. Right. right. So you have to, so as I always joke about it, you know, I always think of the book Dune and Spice, what's a spice? It's a primary care patient. That's your asset. You have to grow the primary care on the economic side. Mm -hmm. But I look at it on the quality side. If you really could grow and you get the right chronic management 
of that patient and you grow that, you could keep them out of the high course specialist and right. you could keep them out of the hospital you know, very well. Just think about it. We have 500 CHF visits a year as some medical group. If you decrease that by 50%, that's 50 that you save emissions, $20,000 per emission. You can just imagine right. what that means to the healthcare dollar and the cost curve. So like what you were saying on the referral side, now aftercare, what aftercare will do in this merger, you know, of bringing this together, is that if you could create a primary care basis, either by digital or by actual being there, mm -hmm. you will control the flow of that healthcare dollar. And by giving those doctors, and this is what we're gonna to try to do, the efficiencies to care for that patient and the care management needs of that, you know, for that chronic care, for that COPD or for the CHF patient or for that brittle diabetic, you'll be able to manage that well in that primary care setting, either by the digital need, and we're spending a lot of money on the digital platform now to be able to attain that, within the organization or by seeing. And you have to go generational too. Mm -hmm. Millennial comes to my office and they say, I, uh, I Googled it, I want the antibiotic, right? You're usually wearing a vest like that. Hey, you like that? Uh, you know, okay. So, <laughs> well, I'm far from being a millennial, yeah. but, um, but the baby boomer, which I am, okay, yeah. they want to be touched and they want to be felt yeah. and they want to be seen. So there's a whole cadre you know, of care that you're gonna to have to have within the platform. Yeah. And that referral really means a lot of how you control that referral. Yeah. Okay. So, well, TJ, you want to... My, my, my perspective on your question, which is, yeah, what, what role does technology play? I actually thought you were going to make a different point, which is two-thirds of most referrals don't get fulfilled, which is also true. Yeah. And a lot of those are important referrals that need to be seen. Yeah, you've got a false positive and a false exact, negative. Exactly. And so I think those are both interesting uh, points to make. You know, the way I think about the digital opportunity as well as the threat is we, we have to we have to effectively cannibalize the stuff ourselves that shouldn't be seen in person. There's, there, there are lighter acuity uh, issues that, that can and should be served either via the telephone or via some video interface. And we need to do that to ourselves um, before someone else does it to us. And if, if we don't do it to ourselves, I, I'm pretty sure others will do it uh, to us. And so what, what I see though is also this under kind of a bigger framework, which is as an industry, like we need, we need to uh, use tools and we need to have these tools drive better value into the system. We have to, in effect, regulate ourselves around this. And mm -hmm. everyone talks about, you know, operating to the top of your licensure as one way to accomplish that, but very few people actually do it. And so part of this strategy and thesis is around actually delivering on that promise. So investing in technology tools so we can manage people in the quote unquote cloud who can be managed in the cloud and do higher acuity things increasingly in lower uh, cost sites of care. Yeah. And so what's unique about what we have, we have 300 loca 200 plus locations in the New York metro area. We will have 300 or 400 over the next many years. And what that enables us to do over time is higher and higher acuity things as we cannibalize ourselves with the flu issues that can be dealt with remotely via our aftercare center or some other telemed capability, we'll be able to do higher acuity things to leverage our community footprint that exists out there. You can imagine a, a day where dialysis is happening in these clinics, where yeah. we're doing infusions in these clinics. And, right. 
those are high value things that are sometimes reside today in the hospital, oftentimes reside in the hospital or in some other higher cost site of care. And that's all part of this kind of long-term strategy. By having the footprint into the communities, we're gonna be able to serve our patients with all of their healthcare needs, with the exception of the super acute ICU type. Yeah. I mean, I think if you think about what TJ and, and Jeff are really articulating is that the reality is, is this is becoming a healthcare system. It just doesn't own hospitals, right? And you would certainly say that technology is easier to be enabled in an environment where there's a direct uh, impact from the physician who ultimately controls how healthcare is spent. But I think as, as we see it, and you know, part of the uh, part of the attraction, not only for, for TJ, but uh, you know, a host of other private equity uh, funds that are that are looking at this space is really the ability, essentially, to ultimately sort of control that uh, you know that healthcare spend, yeah. and to have the systems of care that uh, that enable it to be spent effectively. When we look at it, uh, you know, we think that the hospitals, which you know, if you really think about what hospitals represent uh, in terms of total GNP, it's about six percent of of the nation's GNP, and the dollars that are essentially spent in hospitals, the opportunity for hospitals to essentially cannibalize themselves with their high cost structures and their high fixed assets and so on is, is very limited. We think this type of organization is really transformational because it's asset light and you heard uh, Dr. Mihalovich earlier today describe uh, you know, asset light strategies and Cleveland Clinic moving into asset light. But I think the opportunity to really transform uh, how healthcare is delivered and to reduce the overall cost of healthcare is this is a much, much better platform and more profound platform uh, then when we look at sort of hospitals being kind of the, let's call it the catalyst for change. Some certainly are, but I would say most of them are just embedded with, uh, with very high fixed costs. I just want to add just yeah. one thing. <laughs> Number of Good. primary cares yeah. are decreasing in the country. And for us, we will have over two, 300, well, probably have probably over 600 primary cares within our marketplace. It's going to be harder and harder to recruit you have to go to the APP level, and you're gonna to have to go to the digital platform. And you have to get efficiencies within the organization on the digital platform to be able to handle the patient load on the primary care base. That's a reality that is happening. And you know, when you asked about the digital platform and moving or whatever, you have to bring that into the equation. Yeah. You have to make it more reasonable, efficient, and easy for the physician. The pressures on a physician now in the primary care base are huge. They have to do an EHR, they have to add all this data, they have to do all their task box. People in this audience don't even understand that, what a task box is, that they could have 100 tasks a day that they have to complete before they could move on to the next day. So this has to be efficient in the office and how to manage it and how to take some out of it to, you know, on the digital platform. Yeah, no, that's, that's yeah, a lot of pressure on primary care. So, Carson, you and I wrote a piece, I don't know, three, four years ago uh, called Asset Light and Ready about DuPage Medical Group. Um, and I know this has been an area you've focused on for quite a while. Could you just sort of share with the audience the potential for these asset light models to take volume out of hospitals uh, the right way by delivering the right care at the right time in the right place at the right price. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, reality is is that financial incentives drive you know yeah. these kinds of behaviors, and so when we think about asset light, ultimately what you're really talking about who who really controls those those lives, right? So we go sort of to elevated to attributed lives. And so our hospital clients, they're trying to build models where they control those attributed lives. Uh, as you hear, you know, CityMD and, and Summit, you know, is a model designed to 
controlled uh, attributed lives. But the challenge you have in, in sort of the hospital model, if you will, is that there's a huge cost structure that has to be supported. And so there's a fundamental uh, disconnect between uh, trying to try to drive volume into the hospital that generates the revenues and controlling the cost of healthcare. That's why we think organizations that are asset light are you know, fundamentally better positioned ultimately to drive uh, the cost of healthcare down or the total cost of care. Down. I mean, we think, you know, ultimately it's going to be a challenge for organizations like the Cleveland Clinic and so forth uh, to be successful in a world where they just fundamentally have these high cost structures. And so, you know, you look at other industries, does transformation happen with the incumbents or does transformation happen, you know, with the new entries? I would say organizations like, uh, like Summit City MD is really a new organization, one that we really haven't seen before. And I think it's much more likely, ultimately, to transform healthcare as we all think about it. I mean, this whole conference has largely been a theme of value-based care and how do you reduce the cost of care and total cost of care and so on. It's just a question of, you know, can the, you know, can the uh, incumbents ultimately change? And I think it's, it's just very difficult. I know we're, uh, we're, we're sort of beating up hospitals a lot. And I, I, I would say there is an absolute role for, for hospitals in the healthcare system. And I think all of us in the room would, would be much worse off if we didn't have hospitals to be able to do the very important research that's being done, uh, particularly in, in uh, academic centers like those which we have in, in New York. And our strategy also involves very close partnerships with some of these hospitals. And um, it's really just figuring out the right division of labor. What are we good at? What are they good at? Let's give them more of what they're good at and find ways to have the right appropriate incentives to work together towards, you know, this kind of goal of population health at lower cost. So I just Well, I could take the contrary view. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a question from the audience that sort of touches on this. And the, the question is, does Summit Medical need to have physicians located in New York City and Long Island? Where CityMD is to achieve the the integrated strategy, and sort of the and I, I think I know where you're going to go with this, but TJ, why don't you start, and then we can have Jeffrey, uh, you know, amplify. It's so it's not only does the summit need to expand into the New York region, but there are always going to be places where CityMD is that that summit isn't. So how do you build the networks that work? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it brief because I know uh, Jeff's chomping, yeah, I know he's chomping, at, chomping at the yeah, bit yeah. here. Um, so uh, look, our, our geographies are contiguous, overlapping uh, to a certain extent. So we have, I think, 15 locations. CityMD has 15 locations in Summit territory, broadly defined. Um, Summit today, well, it is not in New York, uh, but active conversations are ongoing uh, to, to change that. And, and you're right, this isn't an overnight strategy where you can immediately have you know a multi-specialty capability everywhere we we have uh we have a city md and nor nor are we so ambitious to think that's going to be a quick process or even that that's the goal i mean for example there's an ubiquity of specialty incredible specialty talent in manhattan and we're not about to duplicate you know infrastructure that's already there we're going to identify pockets where you know there are uh, physician shortages of the type of important chronic you know, characteristics that can actually serve our patients well and deliver on, on the cost advantage. So in some markets, the strategy will be to do a little more like what Summit Medical Group is, more holistic, integrated care, where we're kind of employing it all. There, there, there will be other sub-markets where it's more in partnership. It could be with a health system that has a lot of specialists and where we have a contractual relationship that um, works to the benefit of both of us and, and importantly, to the patient. So that's what's nice having a younger brother. He couldn't say it more eloquently. But this is the whole thesis of our merger. 
This was the entire thesis. Yeah. How we're going to handle it in the boroughs or Manhattan, how we're going to handle it on the island and in Lower Westchester, as and continue our strategy about how we're going to grow. Okay, I would tell you that CityMD, 65% of the physicians CityMD are ED, and the remaining are family practice. You know, within, and there is a physician in every site. That is primary care, period. Right. Right? So the number one referral out is primary care. The number two referral out is orthopedics. It is not, it's not going to be easy. Nobody said it will ever be easy. But to grow primary care and to create what we have in New Jersey on the island will happen. We went from 170 over six years to 900. And there is a need, and I don't want to sound like a jerk, but there is a need for another option in these marketplaces besides the university center, the consolidation of a hospital system, uh, the purchase of a, uh, a payer, you know, of physician practices. So there needs to be another option, you know, within the region to grow an integrated model. And that's our strategy to achieve that in this marketplace. Yeah. So, uh, TJ, uh, another thing that came up in this morning's discussion was Dr. Mahalik's prediction that within a somewhat short time horizon, say five to seven years, um, a health system, and you could read Cleveland Clinic into this, will represent 10% of the market share nationwide. Uh, today, the clinic's about half of 1%. Do you see this model being scalable into other markets in the country, and, and how are you thinking about that? Yeah, so I, I'd start by saying we have a lot to do here. What we've learned, and we've traveled all, all around the country and have met all the sizable groups and different, when you've seen one market, you've seen one market. Uh, you know, there, there's different sort of payer dynamics. There are different uh, sort of willingness of patients to engage in more narrow sort of risk-based HMO type strategies in some markets. Uh, so every, every market's different. We like this market. It's a complicated market. It scares a lot of people. Um, keeps kind of competition away, which we think is a good thing. We know this market really well through our respective entities. But you know, if you can make it here. Exactly. I've heard. I've heard that <laughs> saying. Uh, and um, and and we think. Look, we think there's 20 to 30 million people in this geography, which make it makes it particularly compelling. Um, this market, as I mentioned earlier, it's different. It's not a, a deep risk market, like uh, some markets in Florida or Texas, for example, or California. It's moving in that direction. We believe it will continue to move in that direction, but it will take time for that to evolve. This is a, a market where we, we think having the highest quality medical care at a fair price, which is delivering a total cost of care below the market average, that market average being lifted up by all the big academic medical institutions in this marketplace, we should be able to deliver on that great value proposition to the patient. And this is also an ASO market. So it, what I mean by that is a self-insured employer market. Employers are actively trying to uh, use healthcare benefits as a way to distinguish themselves and to recruit talent and retain talent. And so everyone wants Summit Medical Group in their network. Everyone wants CityMD in their network. If we can deliver on that proposition to the patient, we think everything else sort of solves itself. So okay. long-winded way of saying, lots to do in this market. I would certainly not preclude 
going out of market, but every market's different and our strategy might change accordingly. Okay. So I might have a little different okay. bent on this. Jeff wants to take over the world. No, I do, no, absolutely not. New York City is enough and New York metropolitan area is enough. <laughs> but, but when we started a management company, we wanted to see first if we could export a clinical model and we were able to do that. So we went out to Phoenix and we went out to Bend, Oregon and we actually did a deal with Bend through Kane, you know, out to Bend and these guys were on these guys were really financially strapped, really big time, okay, because they got a terrible epic implementation. The shareholders were making half what their associates were making, and now they have positive cash flow. So we really turned around, and they, and they accepted our clinical model. So we knew that we could okay. do that with our data analytics. So whether or not we're going to do something as we, as we make our data analytics more robust in the national marketplace is to be seen, but we'll see. But yes. Fair point. We are today in two other markets, Arizona and Bend, Oregon. Okay. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. Um, well, we're, we're right about at time, but I, I thought I'd ask each of the panelists to make one bold prediction. So when we're coming back here in five years, 2024, uh, something that'll knock your socks off. So, Karsten, why don't, why don't you... Uh... I, I guess I'll stay with, the, uh, with beating up the hospital theme, uh, hospitals being a big part of my client base. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, I actually think that the hospital industry will be forced into uh, meaningful uh, change. And I think five years from now, we will see a preponderance of hospital systems uh, either at or in bankruptcy. Um, as organizations like this essentially change how healthcare is delivered. And if you really think about it from a hospital perspective, it's all about reducing hospital utilization. With 6% of the GNP, it's a pretty large target uh, with lots of opportunity. Creative disruption. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is easy. Medicare for all. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. What I do think uh, is that, and it, I'll plug your book, The yeah. Consumer Revolution, uh, out there. Um, I, I do think there's been a fundamental shift in how uh, the consumer participates in, in healthcare. It's a, a theme that we spent a lot of time thinking about. It's what drove our interest in CityMD to begin with. And I believe there are going to be some very big consumer-centric healthcare brands uh, that don't exist today, names that you may not have heard of uh, or, or names that you have heard of but are on a much different scale. And so I'd say five years from now, if I had to predict, there would be, let's say, three $10 billion-plus consumer healthcare brands that mm -hmm. are not maybe household names today but will, will be in the, in the five-year timeline. Well, Jeffrey, as always, you get the last word. Great. Um, I think there's going to be greater relationships with the payer. I think providers are going to figure out how to create a symbiotic relationship with the payers in this marketplace. And unfortunately, the hospitals will take the brunt of it. That's why, and what Carson was talking about, I think that's what's going to happen in the marketplace. Okay. Well, let's, uh, audience, let's thank our panelists for a terrific discussion. Thank you. Kane Brothers is an investment bank focused exclusively on healthcare. The bankers at Kane stand apart because of their deep knowledge of the healthcare industry and their practical know how when it comes to executing complex transactions in all healthcare sectors. These include healthcare services, medical technology, and life sciences. I'm your host, Dave Johnson. I'm a recovering investment banker who discovered late in my career I was always meant to be a journalist and maybe even a podcaster. 
I'm also the CEO of Foresight Health and the author of two books, the most recent of which is The Customer Revolution in Healthcare, Delivering Kinder, Smarter, Affordable Care for All. I love talking to other revolutionaries who are driving change in the healthcare industries. 